Hello, America. Welcome to the Muni Lowdown Podcast. My name is Paul Graves, and I'm the managing editor for DebtWire Municipals. I'm coming to you from Boston, but have some of our talented journalists from around the country joining me. And just to note that we're recording on the morning of Thursday, August 15th. So, our lineup today. First, from our New York City headquarters, we have Patrick Ferguson. Pat, what's on tap for you? Today, we'll revisit the latest on GEA and its efforts to sell its business and resolve a running legal dispute over the famed nuclear power plant uh, in Georgia called Vogel. And from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we have Kathy O'Donnell. Kathy, what's on your menu? Well, today I'll be looking at the um, Newark water crisis, which has really uh, heated up recently uh, given the EPA's called for bottled water. And also taking a look at um, Governor Tom Wolf's Restore PA plan, which is uh, 400, excuse me, $4.5 billion um, worth of bonds um, that are backed by a natural gas severance tax. Um, but that um, is in the context of a large number or a high number of uh, childhood cancer cases out in, uh, in the uh, Pittsburgh area. So I'll be taking a look at that. And finally, from San Juan, we have Ava Yorenz. Ava, what's on your plate for discussion? Well, today I will be talking about the numerous challenges that uh, Wanda Vasquez, the new governor, is facing and the latest developments regarding her governorship and also the latest developments into the island's bankruptcy process under Title III of PROMESA. All right, let's get into it. So, Ava, we'll start with you. So, all right, now that we have everything settled, I hope, with who's the governor for Puerto Rico for the next year or so, what's going on beyond that? Well, um, as you know, we have a new governor. Uh, Wanda Vasquez now is facing uh, numerous challenges because after what happened with the uh, exit of Governor Ricardo Rosselló. Um, some of the people that we have talked to have concluded that Vasquez, she has to look at uh, ways to achieve standing and legitimacy. And they say her success will depend on her commitment to promoting transparency and fighting government corruption. Um, the governor, however, she's been already 15 days in office, so almost 14 days, and she has not given any press conferences. Uh, she has talked to some media outlets, but she has still declined to talk about Puerto Rico's fiscal situation, because obviously after 14 days in office, she says she's still unfamiliar with the subject. Um, another significant hurdle for Vasquez is to uh, try to rebuild market credibility as the island continues to work through its debt restructuring and uh, the Financial Oversight and Management Board. Uh, the economy in Puerto Rico appears to be growing, but some economists are saying that this growth is artificial because it is spurred by uh, federal funds. Uh, the governor has said... Uh, through other people, because she has not given any press conferences, that she's planning to go to Washington to try to um, hasten the delivery of federal funds to the island. She has not said, however, when is she leaving for that trip. Uh, over the, Since she took office and over the past week, she has met with different groups. Today, she's meeting with 
members of the Financial Oversight and Management Board, and tomorrow she's slated to meet with uh, union leaders. So she's still pretty much getting to know her government. So Ava, before we move on to other topics with Puerto Rico, from your vantage point, and I certainly understand that the governor wants to get a full handle of the situation before she starts making public comments, but how much longer can she go on without addressing the public and the media before that becomes a problem? Well, um, she um, she has talked to some media outlets. She has appeared, at, but only on one-on-one interviews that have been uh, very short. Uh, basically, she did that at the beginning, and she only she talked about, you know, Rosselló and what happened. However, she has not faced the entire press corps. And there are certain things that she needs to answer. She still has not answered questions regarding uh, the way she took the governor's seat because she had said initially, for instance, that she did not want the seat. But then she told one of the media outlets that she was ready to take the seat, but that then Pedro Pierluisi, and she was with her family, she had already talked to the Supreme Court to be sworn in, and then Pedro Pierluisi called her and told her that he was going to be the person who was going to be the next governor, and she did not protest. She said, okay. Uh, so um, so there are certain questions that, that she needs to still clarify regarding the way she took office. And, of course, she still needs to talk about some of the issues that are affecting the island because all we have heard of about the way she thinks is because other people that are that are meeting with her tell us about it. Uh, but they, but she has not actually uh, had a press conference and talked to everybody and answered numerous questions that we have. So let's put that aside for now. What's going on with the island's bankruptcy? Where does that stand at this point? Well, um, today uh, there's going to be a hearing. Uh, it has not canceled. It has not been canceled yet, but this is a very important hearing because the Financial Oversight and Management Board last month filed a lawsuit against the Puerto Rican government to try to uh, to put a stop or to invalidate a law that extends cities from paying pensions and health insurance. Now, the board wants to invalidate that law because that responsibility will go to the general fund, and it says that that's going to create, it goes against the fiscal plan, and it's going to create havoc. Um, uh, the hearing is, uh, today the hearing is on the issue of whether this lawsuit should be dismissed. The government yesterday tried to adjourn that meeting. Judge Swain said she was not going to do it. And the governor said through the mayors and through, of course, through the oversight board that she was going to support this law and that she had no plans of trying to uh, invalidate it. So this is the first indication that the relationship between the new governor and the board, it's probably not going to be the best one. Uh, it's not going to be as smooth <laughs> as, as everyone expected. So that is pretty significant. But of course, Vasquez has not made a public comments. Um, one of the another significant development in the bankruptcy case is that the Puerto Rico Aqueduct and Sewer Authority 
uh, um, reach an agreement to um, to um, restructure one billion in loan agreements with U.S. government programs. That is with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. However, the deal uh, when we when we evaluated the deal, we realized that it prevents the water utility from incurring a new debt without federal authorization. And that is a situation that may hinder funding for its capital improvement plan. Um, the head of the water utility, uh, Prasa, that is known as Prasa, LED has told us that with the money that they were going to save under the new restructuring deal, that they plan to obtain enough funding to do uh, capital improvements. So let's see what, what is going to happen with that. Um, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority also got into trouble this week. Uh, Governor Wanda Vasquez decided to halt the signing of a $450,000 contract between uh, the electric utility and the firm Stantec for recovery work to the island's electricity infrastructure and, and to help them with a report they have to turn in in October. Now, that amount of money was for supposedly a one-month work. The, the head of PREPA, whose name is Jose Diaz, told us that it was for two months and that the reason that they decided to, that this firm actually had a contract with the um, Central Office for Recovery, Reconstruction, and Resiliency, but that because that office was, office was not being reimbursed by FEMA, that they had stopped paying Stantec and that the firm was threatening to leave. And that is one of the reasons PREPA decided to take over the contract, because they did not want the firm to leave. Well, as it turns out, FEMA agreed then to release the funds, and Jose Ortiz then later said he was no longer uh, going to sign the contract. But then last night, FEMA said that it was not reimbursing the funds so fast. So uh, we don't know what is going to happen yet, with that. Um, another important uh, uh, bankruptcy news item is that the Financial Oversight and Management Board is seeking the dismissal of a suit that was filed by the City of San Juan. Now, the City of San Juan is battling its designation as a cover entity under the Financial Oversight and Management Board's control. And uh, the board, however, is saying that the the lawsuit doesn't have any merit because they can do this under PROMESA. So um, the, what the city wants is for the court to determine what is the scope of the authority that the oversight board has because at issue in here is whether the control that cities have over their budgets. Uh, and those are uh, pretty much the most important items going on in the bankruptcy uh, part of the island's restructuring. Thanks, Ava. And for those that are unfamiliar, PROMESA stands for the Puerto Rico Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act. But let's take things stateside, or to the mainland, I should say, to Newark, New Jersey, Kathy. Seems like it's it, it has a little bit of uh, Flint, Michigan going on here, but tell us more. Well, um, what happened is the, this lawsuit has been going on since June of 2018, but things really heated up last week and 
it appears that, uh, at least from the letter that um, uh, was sent from Commissioner McCabe, who's New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection Commissioner, uh, to uh, the EPA, that New Jersey and, and Newark were a bit blindsided by the EPA's recommendation that um, bottled water be distributed to Newark residents with lead service lines. Um, and in her letter, uh, she said that, you know, uh, they had been working closely with EPA throughout this matter, and Friday was the first time that EPA ever suggested that bottled water be provided to the residents of Newark with lead service lines. And in fact, during the course of their, you know, collaboration, uh, the city and the state had relied very heavily on the EPA's technical advice as to the reliability of the pure water filters that the city had distributed to Newark residents. So I believe they were a bit blindsided that the EPA uh, came out with this. Um, they are in court today, which is Thursday morning, so the two sides, and at issue, one of the issues is what the entry of the EPA means for this case. Um, this has the potential to cost quite a bit of money. I believe the preliminary injunction that the plaintiffs are seeking, uh, the bottled water delivery, uh, would cost about $30 million. And then there's a second uh, aspect injunction they want is the replacement of the lead service lines in Newark. And that, according to one court document, is uh, could cost about, I believe, $180 million. So those are not inexpensive items. So uh, that's where we are now. And there are calls for the mayor, uh, Mayor Ross Baraka. Uh, he's facing calls for his resignation uh, because... As late as 2018, according to the suit, he was assuring people that the water was safe to drink. So, Kathy, and just so we clarify, the DEP chief in New Jersey is Catherine McCabe. What's the potential impact on the city's credit rating? Well, um, you know, I'm not an analyst, but uh, I did note that I believe S&P cut Michigan's rating um, outlook, rating outlook, I should say, to stable Um you know, back in, I believe it was 2016, uh, you know, amid the Flint crisis. So I think there is uh, some potential for rating activity here. Again, I'm not a rating analyst, but I would say it's it's not a, a positive thing for uh, Newark. And it's just, you know, kind of, I believe, a case of infrastructure that is old. Um, certainly um, there, you know, the EPA is, excuse me, the, um, you know, the state uh, is calling on, in her letter, Catherine McCabe called on the EPA to do its part. Um, so uh, it's just kind of part of an infrastructure problem that I think a lot of uh, folks are having around the nation. So last year, there was all this talk about Amazon HQ2 and Newark was in the running one of the final finalists. Any sense on whether or not that played a role in the mayor saying the water was safe, even though the, this issue seemed to be percolating around the same time uh, they were, you know, Amazon was looking to make a decision? Well, that's, that's difficult to say, but um, according to the lawsuit anyway, you know, the mayor was saying as late as October 2018 that the water was okay to drink. And the decision, I believe, with the Amazon headquarters was released in November of 2018. So it's very difficult to say, but, you know, just if you are the mayor, the head cheerleader for a city, you know, is 
is a tight contest with a bunch of other cities vying for this very lucrative uh, potential uh, inflow of economic activity into your city? Is Are you going to tout the fact that you have water that is uh, poisoning people with lead? So who knows? It's, it's very difficult to say, but, um, you know, I, I suppose it's possible. All right. Thanks, Kathy. Let's turn our attention to Jacksonville, Florida. Patrick, JEA, the Jacksonville-based utility. There's been some developments there. Yes, a little little recap. JEA issued a solicitation for bids uh, to buy the utility. Those are due uh, at the end of September. But in this last week, local media reported that a lawyer from JEA asked the city council for a, quote, cone of silence. And this cone of silence would prevent the city council from asking questions about the, the process of the sale. A city councilman shot back, uh, saying it wasn't appropriate and calling it a hypocrisy. Um, so there's going to be some some dealings there, trying to figure out uh, what the what and how much the city council is going to address the the potential sale, the sale process in their negotiations um, during their meetings. Uh, just so the city council to approve a sale, the city council, majority of the city council, two thirds. Uh, has to agree to it. So it's 13 out of the 19 members. And uh, a sale would, it has to go through a few legal loop, I don't say loopholes, but a, th- a few votes. So if the city council does approve it, then it would have to go to a referendum. And this referendum would actually be carried out at the county level, Duval County. And that would just need a simple majority to pass. And to take you a look so at the possibility of a sale, uh, Jacksonville Mayor Lenny Curry has come out and seems to support a sale. Um, so he said that, you know, if we do sell JEA, then we could use those proceeds. This JEA promised the city would get $3 billion. So the city could use that $3 billion and pay off all its debt, which is about $2.2 billion. Uh, so interesting enough, so Curry, during his run for re-election last spring, said he wouldn't pursue a sale. And this is coming after, in I'd say mid-2018, uh, maybe about the spring going into summer of 2018, um, that the, he also uh, supported or, or suggested that a sale would be profitable for the city. So there's been kind of maybe a little back and forth there. Uh, but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what those uh, what the bids look like, uh, which should be should be coming in pretty soon. And what's going on with the Vocto project? Yeah, so the the nuclear project in Burke County, Georgia. So that's lurking, always lurking in the background. Um, so recently, we've had a change of venue. So JEA wanted the the court case heard in Florida, um, that being kind of integral to their arguments that. Uh, that they should get out of this power purchase contract with the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia based on state constitutional law. So a judge there didn't didn't agree, sent the case over to Georgia. And now we have the beginnings of or the new proceedings, so they're almost starting over uh, hearing that case in a federal district court in Atlanta. Uh, interesting enough, so we go look at some uh, court documents published on August 7th where they're kind of laying out the ground rules for discovery, re- reevaluating, you know, what are the exact positions of uh, MIEG, which is the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia, and JEA. And uh, going through this 
court documents, we see that um, on that day, August 7th, uh, they actually, JEA and MIA actually held negotiations for a possible settlement. Um, they've also indicated that they could settle after discovery, the discovery process is completed. So discovery should, could uh, take place or could begin in the next, I mean, pretty, it could begin in the next week or two, maybe, uh, maybe it'll go a little further than that. And it could, it could extend another six months with another uh, a possibility of an extension, but it could end uh, sooner as well. Um, so we'll see there. And I think a lot of uh, parties are interested in this uh, this PPA agreement between JEA and MIEG. One, because it, there's about JEA has about $1.6 billion worth of liabilities uh, associated with the, the Vogel nuclear project. And also, and then also a further uh, power purchase agreement for the next 20 years that JEA would buy power from, from that nuclear project. Uh, so just a little update on that nuclear project. So Georgia Power, which is the principal owner and the lead uh, project manager, uh, said the, the, the project is, should be finished um, according to schedule. It's, it's on track. So that's uh, November of 2021 uh, for one unit, for one reactor, and November 2022 for the, the second reactor. Uh, but then, interesting enough, the Public Utilities Commission of Georgia said that delays are likely, and this is this is a um, could be problematic because delays would probably lead to cost overruns, and then which would uh, which would make JEA uh, liable to pay for some, for some of those cost overruns. But Georgia Power addressed that, saying it's just a difference of opinion. We'll we're still on track to meet those dates. All right. Thanks, Patrick. And now let's close it out with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Restore Pennsylvania. What is that, Kathy? Tell us more. Well, that is a very ambitious plan that Governor Tom Wolf, who has long advocated for a natural gas severance tax in Pennsylvania. Um, that is, it's his plan to fund this infrastructure um, uh, restoration project with a natural gas severance tax. Um, he kind of divorced the severance tax from the budget, which he has called for for uh, pretty much since he took office in twenty seven in twenty excuse me twenty fifteen. Um, but now he's saying that he's going to issue four point five billion dollars worth of bonds that would be backed by the severance tax that would do things like extend broadband and repair, um, you know, fight blight. So there's a number of initiatives that he has in this restore Pennsylvania plan. Um, and along with that, there is there was a Pittsburgh Post-Gazette series that uncovered a high number of rare cancers in uh, counties in southwestern Pennsylvania with uh, shale gas operations. So that kind of throws a new wrinkle into this. Now, it has never, you know, to be fair, there has never been a direct link between that established, but it does throw into question, um, you know, whether or not the revenue stream backing these bonds could be impacted if, for example, sometime in the future, a direct link is established. So, Kathy, the most thing that caught my eye in what you explained was that it's a plan. So how likely is this plan to actually see the light of day? Well, according to the folks I spoke with, not 
<laughs> not a huge, not a huge uh, odds, or there aren't a huge odds that it will see the light of day. Um, the severance tax is very much opposed by the Republican-controlled uh, legislature, who do not want any kind of what they would see as an additional tax on uh, natural gas production, because it is an industry that has uh, generated a lot of economic activity. Uh, for the Commonwealth, so they, the Republican-controlled legislature is dead set against this. Um, although there is among, um, according to a Franklin and Marshall poll, there is support from the public for this. Most of the public apparently favors um, this Restore Pennsylvania plan. Um, but I would say the deal has pretty slim chances of uh, seeing the light of day. And if it does get off the, the ground, this potential link to cancer, does it put a cloud over the potential bound sale or is it not really? Or Well, I think that it depends upon how bright a line, um, as someone told me, um, they can establish between these uh, cancer cases and fracking. Um, what I'm hearing, though, is that likely, um, you know, depending upon the severity of that, and these are all hypothetical questions because, again, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of chance of passing. But um, if they were to be able to, depending upon how strong a link it was, um, it would likely mean people would want a higher yield. These are 20-year bonds. So with climate change, with a lot of other things happening, you say to yourself, if you're going to be buying a 20-year bond, you're going to want a little bit of compensation for the fact that things could change, particularly in a situation where there are something as, um, you know, attention-grabbing and headline-grabbing and, you know, certainly of major concern as childhood cancer. But again, there has been no direct link established to date. And uh, Governor Wilpa said he is going to follow the science on this. I think they are, you know, certainly aware of it. Um, but the kind of environmental groups and others are pushing for. There was a call um, from a number of organizations uh, and individuals, including a couple of Hollywood stars, that called for a halt to permits uh, being issued for uh, drilling and fracking until this uh, investigation that they were calling for commenced. So that is a worry if you are a bond issue, a bond investor in a 20-year bond. Well, thanks, Kathy. Thanks to Ava and Patrick for their contributions today. Thanks to our podcast producer, Andrew Constantino, who always makes sure that our mics sound right. Hope you enjoyed it. Look forward to talking to you next week on the next edition of the Muni Lowdown. Take care. <laughs>